Warning, this episode contains spoilers, coarse language, and... I'm Rectum the Anusless Vampire. I hate remakes. I love remakes. Welcome everybody to part one of a new episode of I Hate Love Remakes. I am Noel. Joining me as always is Evie. No one is happy with a salad. Lettuce just punched itself in the face. Was it dressed first? It's not funny. It's not funny. It was dressing. That was funnier. No. Well, I'm not saying it was funny, but it was funnier. Well, yes, if we're going to go by that, then yes, it was funnier. I win by degrees. So joining us today is a very special guest. Special guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm JD. Hey, do stuff. Uh, let's see, I, I was expecting a little bit more build-up for that, Noel. I'm a little disappointed. No, um, I'm just tossing it at you. <laughs> keeping you on your toes. Okay, well, some of you might be familiar with me because I do the voice of Kellis Torre on a certain show that you write for, Noel, called Star Trek Galilea. And I also do some comic book reviews on a website called geekvision.tv. My show is called Comics Are Awesome, and I talk to you about awesome comics in video form. Fun and excitement. Awesome. How long have you been doing it for? Actually, this week is my two-year anniversary. Nice. And I've done many multiple episodes, going into many multiple episodes, hopefully more. And I've watched some of them. Hooray! I'm still <laughs> catching up. I'm watching them about one a week, so... <laughs> uh, don't worry about it, man. I haven't watched any of them because I tend to watch people's comic review and then I end up wanting to punch them in the face because I disagree with them. Because <laughs> apparently that's how I do things when I think about comic books. So then I don't watch people's comic reviews so then I don't want to punch them in the head. Well, I appreciate that because I don't like and redundant. <laughs> Yeah, no one likes being punched in the head. Mm, some people probably like get off on that. Yes, yeah. JD, have I introduced you to Evie and her head punching ways? <laughs> Not yet. I'd rather avoid it for a while. So Evie, what movie are we covering today? Um, oh, I can't tell the joke anymore, because the joke was always Fright Night. Now I can't do it anymore. You've ruined everything, Noel. Uh, <laughs> what doing... movie are we welcome to tonight? <laughs> Fright Night from 1985. The joke should be, welcome to Fright Night for real. We're real? For real? For real? <laughs> I think we need to qualify as real first. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, really. Friday Night was written and directed by Tom Holland, who I've actually been a fan of for a few years. He got his start as a screenwriter, writing Class of 1984, Psycho 2, Cloak and Dagger. And this was his directorial debut. And right after this, he did the original Child's Play, which I still hold up as pretty much the only good Child's Play. After that, his career got a little weird. <laughs> I think that's probably true of many of the actors in this film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, after that, the only other things I've seen are Thinner and Langoliers, and Thinner's okay. Langoliers is like a great 40-minute yeah. story stretched out to a two-part miniseries. Yeah, it's definitely something that could have been compressed. It didn't need to be it. Stephen King didn't have to make a whole novel out of it, and they didn't have to make a two-part miniseries out of it. There's a lot of stuff Stephen King doesn't have to make novels of, and he does anyway. Well, and even his novels don't have to be as five times long as they are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on, there was that Masters of Horror that Tom Holland did. We all scream for ice cream. I never no saw, one saw one. that one. No, that's not one I've seen yet. You're not missing out. Let's go ahead and get that. <laughs> I liked Tom Holland in the 80s. 
80s Tom Holland made some great stuff. After that, not so much. Because I actually really think Psycho 2 is one of the stronger sequels out there. And Cloak and Dagger is just a fun movie. Yeah, that's the only one I'm really familiar with of his work uh, was Cloak and Dagger. And I do have a lot of fond memories of that, though I haven't revisited it in a long while. I saw that one horrible Masters of Horror episode, and I don't really like Child's Play. I mean, okay. yeah, it's the best of the Child's Play movies, except for Bride of Chucky, just because that movie is supposed to be parody. That's yeah, the by then way. they just got crazy. Yeah. And then they, they just had fun with it. Yeah, the Child's Play is the best of the Child's Play movies, but I mean, like, it's a really low bar. I don't know. I genuinely hold it up as a good creepy horror movie. Dolls don't creep me out that much. It's more of a thriller than it is horror. It it's, doesn't creep me out either. Okay. It really scared me as a kid, and I kind of never wanted to watch it just because I watched the trailers and had to sleep in the bathroom with the lights on one evening. So, Evie, I know who we're going to have on if they remake it. <laughs> Thanks, Noel. Thanks for making me revisit my childhood nightmares. It's the only way you can confront them and get past them. Or relive the experience of wetting yourself. <laughs> We're horrible people. It, yes. it, it, we need to admit this. <laughs> I, I'm okay with it. So why don't we go ahead and move on to the synopsis? This is where I edit in the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> Great synopsis, Noel. <laughs> <was> so <laughs> You'll never top that one. <laughs> it's my masterpiece. <laughs> it was so good it couldn't be shared. Mm. That's true. That's it can true. only be imagined. <laughs> Teenage horror geek Charlie Brewster is starting to suspect his next-door neighbor, Jerry Dandridge, is a vampire responsible for the disappearance of several local women. Neither his mother nor friends believe him, and when Charlie goes to the police, all it does is make Jerry aware of his suspicions. So not only does Jerry show that he is, in fact, a vampire, but shows Charlie just how easy it is to gain access to the boy's home and how powerful of a force Charlie has found himself up against. Charlie next tries to get help from Peter Vincent, a washed-up horror movie star now hosting Fright Night, a late-night monster movie show from which he's promptly fired. Peter, of course, thinks Charlie is a crazy fan, but decides to help the boy when he's paid to do so by Charlie's concerned girlfriend Amy and his sarcastic best friend Evil Ed. Setting up a parlor trick scenario with Jerry to prove the man isn't a vampire, Peter instead learns it's the truth and runs away while Jerry chases the teens through town, turning Evil Ed into a vampiric werewolf and capturing Amy with the intent of turning her into his new bride. Charlie returns to Jerry's home for a final fight, with Peter ultimately deciding to help him, and the two kill both Evil Ed and Jerry's living companion slash ghoul, Billy. When they find Amy in the final stages of converting to vampirism, they set out to kill Jerry in the hopes they'll do it in time to reverse his powers over her. The final battle is furious, eventually leading to a crypt in the basement where they corner Jerry and smash his blackened out windows to explode him with sunlight. A few nights later, Charlie and Amy are together again, watching his TV where Peter has won back his gig hosting Fright Night. In the darkness of Jerry's house, a pair of eyes glow, accompanied by the laughter of Evil Ed. Evie, do you recommend this movie? Yeah. It's fun. It's not terribly complicated. It's not very scary. It, it's fine. Like, I, it's, this is on the low end of the recommendation. Like, if you need something on at some sort of slumber party or something, you're set with Fright Night. It doesn't really do anything for me. It's fine, but it's not, say, Assault on Precinct 13 or My Bloody Valentine. It's not like these movies that I'm like, oh my god, they're so good all caps, colon, smiley bracket. Okay, anything else? I think Amanda Pierce is adorable and has not aged. Ever. JD, do you recommend this movie? 
I do, but with very much a caveat that you have to kind of really enjoy 80s everything to really kind of get a lot of enjoyment out of this film. If you can't look at bright pink sweaters or whatever, <laughs> then you you might have some issues, but it's enjoyable. There's a lot of things that are really well done here, but there's also a lot of cheese. And if you like 80s cheese, this is a great movie to watch. If you kind of are indifferent, it's okay. It's still worth a watch, but not something I'd say run out and get right away. I also recommend this movie. I really enjoy the movie, but I fully admit it's not spectacular. I think it's it's got a great core story at its heart. I like the cast. I like the characters. It's got a nice, creepy, playful atmosphere that manages to be funny without getting too silly and a little creepy without getting too scary. I mean, th- this is like a fun movie for like 13-year-olds. It's very 80s. Oh, just the aesthetic, the ribbons in the hair, Evil Ed's hair. Every, I everything love his hair. I love his hair. The fact that Chris Sarandon is considered to be sexy. Um, Shut up! <laughs> It's so 80s, but it fits that period. It fits that period and it wears it well. The makeup effects, yeah, they look a little rubbery and a little puppety, but they're still really pretty good for the time. I like the music. And I love Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell is just such a great presence with such a great arc. Best part of the film is Roddy McDowell. I would never say this is a bad film. It's a really fun film, a really enjoyable film. A really, It's occasionally quite clever, but there are some things that are wrong with it and some things that do date it. But I recommend it. So why don't we go ahead and move into open discussion? Why don't we go ahead and talk about Roddy? Awesome. He's so cute. I love him. I love the idea of essentially like a, a hammer horror star or a Vincent Price who's now stuck just hosting his own movies yeah. in a local network. <laughs> this is one of those things that totally does date the movie because if you show it to a kid now, they're going to be like, what the fuck is this? They're not going to get it. And it makes me feel really old that I get what's going on. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he hosts horror movies. It's not something that happens a lot today, but it's not exactly like it's really hard to grasp what is happening there. It's just, it seems a little weird that why is this guy, you know, talking about the movie before it happens, but I don't think it's like going to, you know, really Well, I mean, there are still some. I mean, there's Sven Gulli who has a network spanning through a few states. Elvira's show only lasted until just last year, you know? Spike will have their guy movie or something like that Mm -hmm. where they have people talking in between commercial breaks and stuff. It's nothing that terribly different. It's just kind of sad seeing that this guy who was like once the biggest star in the horror field is now just living in a little apartment that he's about to get evicted from working on a little local network access show. Roddy McDowell, it's just something about him. His eyes, he's always working with his eyes and he just seems so into it. Like he's lying to the kids just to try to impress them a little bit. Oh, yeah, I believe in vampires. And, you know, do you want my autograph? Oh, yeah, I'm like, totally going to Hollywood. What up? Yeah. Or like, he's he, like, he, I have a savings bond. Yeah, he takes the time to hide his eviction notice when. Uh, and uh, pick up his shoes. Yeah, like <laughs> these kids probably wouldn't care about that. But, right. you know, to him it matters. And that's just something about that. It's like. He still has that old sense of dignity. Yeah. He has that old style showman theatricality, but also that depressed nature of like, look what it's all come to, look what it's all amounted to. None of it was real. He's really kind of living in the past a little bit, but he still has his dignity, which is something that's yeah. kind of complex for a movie like this, really, if you think about it. Yeah. It's, considering a lot of these characters are kind of, I wouldn't say one note, but certainly not super fleshed out, but he's doing a lot with very little. To then, when he finds out that it's real, of course, he first panics and tries to run away. But then it's like, this is probably the only chance I'm ever going to have to take what I know and make a difference and do something that matters. Mm -hmm. And so he steps up. And I just think that's a great character arc. Yeah. But then even, you know, the first time he kills a vampire, it's Evil Ed, who we'll get to, who just has one of the most horrible 
painful, prolonged death scenes that this guy literally just has to look in this kid's face as he's dying in front of him. Yeah, especially since it becomes Ed becomes mortal again, and all. Yeah, you know, basically it's just this naked kid. Yeah, and it's sort of like really just like all of a sudden like, oh shit, you know, what did I just do? And yet he still keeps going on despite that. Right. Okay, I didn't want to be the one to say this, but it sort of feels like Ryan McDowell's kind of playing himself. Well, yeah. Because he used to have this really great career, and then he's like, oh, Peter Vincent in this Tullabullet movie, oh, God. Well, yeah, he was like this really great actor. He then did Planet of the Apes and got stuck doing Planet of the Apes for the next decade and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Even on TV. Well, he was also the bookworm on the Batman TV series. Oh, my God, I don't know why I know that. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it has a very personal feel to it. But I think that gives it even more weight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, I just found him charming in his powdered hair and mm-hmm. especially just little moments like when Charlie says that, you know, I think my next door neighbor's a vampire and I need you to help me kill him. Just that look on his face as he goes from, oh, it's an annoying fan to, oh, shit, I got to get away from this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, he does all these like complex character things and he also just plays up the comedy too. Like just the opening, first time we see him, he's basically holding a steak backwards. It, uh, yes. It's just a slapstick two second shot, but it just, I don't know, it just makes me laugh every time I see that. Yes. Oh, God, the steak upside down. I, I didn't catch that until I just watched it again recently. Mm-hmm. I nearly forgot that. Yeah, thank God you brought it up, because I love that, where he's just like, vampire, kill it, and it's the wrong way. I'm like, yes. And the thing is, he keeps walking with it like that, and you hear these screams of pain. I'm like, because you're trying to hammer the steak in for backwards. <laughs> I love the little clips we get of the old movies, especially in the opening where we're just hearing it, mm-hmm. and it's like, your lips are so ruby red. Would you like to kiss them? And then you just hear these really over-the-top sucking sounds. like someone's making out with a plunger it's (laughs) hilarious they had so much fun making those but why don't we go to the lead character of charlie brewster i hate charlie really really yes i'm sorry he's just so the first thing we see of him is basically being upset with his girlfriend because she won't put out and then he really doesn't do anything to really kind of get my sympathy towards him i mean yeah i feel like you know he's trying to stop the vampire i get that but it's just he goes about it in such an insane way of being crazy and not using any savvy or anything like that. He's just basically, you know, he's a vampire. Like a Everyone believe me. I just liked him because it felt real. I mean, that had that kind of bumbling everymanness to him. If oh, I was I just, a teenager, like, that's pretty I, much what I would sound like if I thought someone was a vampire. If you had been played by Tom Hanks, you would have loved it. Uh, I don't have anything against the act. <laughs> no, I'm no. not super familiar with William Ragsdale, but I've seen a little bit of his stuff um, after he did after this. But it's just... You know, maybe it was a really great maybe actor. Maybe it was just too I, much of an everyman? I think so. I mean, and it's, he doesn't seem to really appreciate his girlfriend at all. I mean, admittedly, he gets caught up in the whole thing with, you know. Well, I thought it felt like a real nice teenage. And I love that scene, actually, where, you know, he's angry that she won't put out, and then she puts out and he doesn't notice. Yeah. Yeah, but it, like, it, it was, maybe if, if there was a little If she had put out, if they had actually done it, I would have been upset. But it's specifically because he's like, literally, oh my god, we're never going to have sex with you. Oh my god, there's a coffin. And that's the recurring gag of every time she does what he wants her to do, he doesn't appreciate it. And then she sticks a burger in his face. (laughs) And then when she's taken away, it's like, you know, this is the thing that you've squandered. And part of the whole thing about Jerry is, look, dude, I'm going to come in. I'm going to fuck up your life. I'm going to wreck your car and I'm going to fuck your girlfriend. Yeah, I can see what they were doing. And if they would just try to make him a little bit more likable early on, I would probably have been a little bit more rooting for him a little bit more. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And this is where uh, teenagers would wear corduroy sports jackets to school. <laughs> <laughs> Bless. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's 80s. What can I say? Considering that, you know, Ed is dressed up like Michael Jackson yeah, at one point. Uh, Shut up, I love Ed. I, I, I have nothing wrong. I love Ed, too. I'm not, we'll get to him, I'm sure. But Charlie, yeah. One of my problems with Charlie is the whole Fright Night fandom that he has is very peripheral. You don't really get the sense that he's a horror geek. Oh, he just happens to always watch this show. I mean, we don't yeah. really get anything beyond that. It kind of confused me because he basically, he has to go to Ed to find out how to kill a vampire. How does he not know the rules of how to kill a vampire if he watches horror movies every night? Yeah. Well, he's making it, out it with his like, girlfriend while he's watching the show. Them. I guess maybe for the last, you know, he really doesn't like watching the show. He just likes making out with Amy for the last year or so. He likes the background you know. material. Yeah. <laughs> it's white noise to him. Yeah, it seems really... It gets me up, baby. <laughs> oh, no. Eh. Well, maybe he just likes the heaving bosoms of Hammer movies. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I, I I like Hammer movies, like Hammer Horror, but really I like having Hammer Horror movies on in the background while I do something else. Yeah, Hammer Horror movies, they look nice, but they're all pretty much the same movie. So I'm like, I kind of get that. It could be that he just really likes Peter Vincent's showmanship. It could just be that he watches it just for the in-between segments, yeah. Maybe. Like when I watch Ed the Socks, this movie sucks. I'm not watching for their commentary. I'm watching for the in-between stuff where there's a sock puppet talking to people. And it's awesome. And that makes sense because, you know, there are people who are fans of the late night horror hosts, you know, and just watch the show for them. I'm sure there's a lot of reason why Elvira got as much attention as she did. Yeah, I mean, Sven still manages to keep it going, too, you know. Because of her big hair. (laughs) Yes. And I like the journey of Charlie. Of I, I like that it's literally just a war between neighbors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't trust my next door neighbor, so I'm going to piss him off so that he comes after me, and then I'm going to come after him for coming after me, and then it becomes a feud. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys in the mm-hmm. suburbs with vampires. <laughs> By the way, Charlie, I wrecked your car. <laughs> yeah, I it was kind of surprised that they never showed the car wrecked. Did they? Did no, I that? well, you hear like the smash off screen. Yeah, you hear it smashing, he says it's raccoons to his mom. And then suddenly he's riding a bike. Yeah. I don't know that you need to. It sells enough as it is. It's a nice budget saver. Yeah. I think it was so that they'd have an excuse that Ed could walk down the alleyway by himself instead of just dropping him off at his house. But Right. Yeah, I can see what they're doing with the character, and I don't completely hate it. I just He's probably, out of all the characters in the movie, he's just probably my least favorite. He's the hero character and kind of follows the standard hero arc, I guess. I'll give you that. I just thought he was kind of appealing. But I get that. He is a very, he's almost every man to a fault. Yeah. It's like Zach Galligan in, in Gremlins. And I think part of it is also I'm looking at it from today's perspective where getting upset at your girlfriend for not putting out was something that was, I wouldn't say is acceptable, but at least it was something that you could do in movies back then that you probably can't do today. Well, but it doesn't celebrate him for it. He gets crap back True. for it. It's the wrong thing to win me over, right? It's the first thing that you see him doing. I mean, yeah, it was stupid, and it wasn't something that's very good, but it felt realistic. Yeah. Given how many teenage relationships I saw. (laughs) Fucking teenagers, man. So when we talk about Jerry, Chris Sarandon. Jerry's a horrible name for a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Wait for next episode. I had to say it now. Couldn't hold out. But no, don't think that Chris Sarandon is sexy. Pistols at dawn, dear sir. (laughs) I'm joking, I just... Like, especially they're in nightclub sequence. They're treating him like his Fabio. <laughs> I love his clothes in the nightclub sequence. Yeah. He's in sweats. I'm like, dude's making the sweats work for him. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. If anyone can make sweats work, it's a vampire named Jerry. Yeah. yeah. 
it's a very 80s wardrobe, especially in their nightclub sequence. But I actually I, do I, like Chris Sarandon. Um, oh, I do like him. I was just kind of joking that they play him up oh, yeah, he, really he, far. I can see why. He's, he's 80s not an unhandsome, hot. He's not, yeah, he's 80s hot. He's not somebody who would be considered handsome today. Or he'd probably be considered I think he's handsome. handsome. I'm just not like, like an over-the-top yeah. stud, you know. But not sexy. I love that the two guys of the podcast are discussing whether or not he's handsome. <laughs> and I'm like, eh, whatever. He's 80s hot, you guys. He's 80s hot. <laughs> That's just me. Well, I mean, a lot of the movie is basically this other guy coming into stealing your girl, trashing your car. So, yeah. It's, it's the guy it's, who it's, moves it's, next door and makes your life a living hell. <laughs> right. It, sexuality is kind of at the forefront there, even though it's at least a little bit smirkable by today's standards. But he plays the character pretty well. Mm-hmm. Maybe the script doesn't give him quite enough as far as motivation or, you know, deep character other than, hey, this girl looks kind of like a girl I dated and I'm really bad at covering up murders. But uh, That was something that they just slipped in last minute and they really didn't do much with it at all. Yeah, no kidding. Wasn't in the script, wasn't in the novelization. I think I remember Chris Sarandon in an interview somewhere said that that was one of his ideas that he added. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it doesn't really bring anything. It kind of, I mean... Because him being attracted to Amy is one thing, but for the majority of the movie, he's mostly just doing it to fuck with Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. And this came before Bram Stoker's Dracula that Ford Coppola did. So I was just like, Francis, did you watch Fright Night? <laughs> he probably did. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. That, that whole thing in the beginning and like, I feel like you're ripping them off a little bit. I'd like to see Chris Sarandon and Mike Mignola design muscle armor. <laughs> Uh, I want that now. Why isn't that a thing? <laughs> and I know one of the other things that he said that he added was the idea that he eats fruit. I love the way he eats Yeah. Has a genetic tie between vampires and fruit bats. Okay, yeah, I that's... didn't see that. That felt very European to me. Well, that was just his thought process as an actor that, you know, vampires drink blood, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only part of their diet. Maybe they also need, like, the sugars and fruit to help digest the blood. So he's always eating fruit. I mean, I've heard that too. I personally wouldn't have ever thought of that. I just think it makes him look kind of relaxed in his evilness. You it know, just adds a little thing that you usually don't see with vampires. Yeah. And I mean, this is coming from, because I've seen Buffy and I've read up on Buffy a lot. And one of the things they had was that the vampires can, in fact, eat food because it's not like they need it, but it just helps pass the time. Yeah. Right. It's just that blood is a requirement. That doesn't mean yeah. it's the only thing they can have. It's not like the Twilight vampires where they're like, ew, food. In other words, vampires still need to use the bathroom, too. No. Nope, I think they do. I never really I wanted to think they're... about that. If they eat food, they got to get it out of their system somehow. Unless their system just burns it up. Completely. They can't just have absolute metabolism. Yeah, they can. They're vampires. They don't exist. Then does that mean they don't have a poo hole? That's right. I'm rectum the anusless vampire. There is an anatomically correct as a Ken doll. Okay, I just quoted Kevin Smith. I'm going home. Well, actually, that's Guillermo del Toro. His vampires, their dicks just fall off at some point. Yeah, and also their tongues shoot out, etc., etc., etc. So anyways, I like a lot of the makeup effects that they do with him. I mean, some of it looks a little dated in the 80s, but I like yeah. the little things like the finger extensions, the eyes and whatnot. I mean, that first time you see him in the full makeup all hunched over and his face is all deformed, it's a little, maybe a little over the top, but... Yeah. It's never distracting. 
I like the midline transformations. Yeah, like when he's just a little bit creepy looking, it's actually really good. When he's in the full makeup, it's not quite as effective, especially near the end when he's in kind of big monster makeup. Yeah. He just looks like a guy in a monster mask a little too much. Those finger extensions are tricky to play because they can come off rubbery very easily. And there was only one shot that I thought they didn't work because he did a nice job of moving his hands in a way that accentuated them. It was just that one bit where he had to grab the pencil and pull it out of his hands. He went and pushed in too far and it folded up the fingers a little. (laughs) And that's not good when they're right in full close-up, so maybe they could have shot that shot from a different angle. So, I like the idea that a number two pencil can be used against a vampire. And Green Lantern. And Green Lantern, yeah. (laughs) Nerd. Am I the only one who thought that at some points he was actually using his nails to, like, cut up the apple so he could eat it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I kind of got that impression. It wasn't just me. Especially near the later parts where he's just eating while he's toying with everyone. Yeah. Oh, like, okay. I even just love that bit where he's just walking along the banister while digging his nail into it. Mm-hmm. I love the welcome to Fright Night. I love how playful he is in terms mm-hmm. of he essentially is all set to just go next door and kill Charlie. But then the friends all come up and say, hey, can we do this test to prove that you're not a vampire? And he's just like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, it's kind of a little weird. He comes up to Charlie and he basically says, I'm going to give you something. I don't have a choice, which I actually kind of like that because it kind of implies a little bit of a, not morality, at least a sense of honor or something. Um, Well, what I like is that Charlie started this. Charlie was the one who picked this fight. Kind of. I have to admit, Jerry is really bad at covering up his killing. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm going to eat this woman who I very clearly invited over in front of an open window with no blinds. And then I'm just going to leave the body in it like a dumpster. And then even the night before of just letting her get out that loud scream. Yeah. You kind of brought that on yourself a little bit. Some people are screamers, you guys. I'm not totally attacking Charlie here because, you know, yeah, he was seeing a guy killing women and and he tried to do the right thing. Oh, yeah. But he still picked a fight with a force that he couldn't contend with. And so Jerry's not going to respond to that very well. Yeah. Yeah, He does give him the option at one point, basically going, look, you just walk away from this and I'll pretend that this never happened and we just go back to what we were doing. And yeah. he's like, well, I can't. Yeah, Jerry's like, well, then I'm just going to make you pull out your window. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things, that if I was Charlie, admittedly, again, I'm kind of using my little meta-knowledge a little bit more. Maybe I'd be acting differently in that situation, but I would try to at least <laughs> pretend that, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I won't do it, you know. Try to stop the evil forces, but let's not walk up to the evil force and say, I see you, evil force, and we'll stop you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe just lie to him and be like, oh, yeah, no, I'll totally stop doing And when you the bring thing. the cops over to the house, don't say, he's a vampire. I'm like, just coat everything with holy water. Jesus, kid. I mean, I love that whole bit where, and most importantly of all, don't ever invite him in. And he comes home and the mom invites him. That's like, and then just that night when Jerry comes back, I just love that bit where he's just watching the mother and then he just cracks her door enough that it'll stick for her Mm -hmm. while he goes and messes with Charlie. and, And he messes Charlie up, man. He tears that guy's room apart. Right. I love that the mom, she's she like, doesn't... I had a bad dream. And she's like, okay. Well, and she doesn't hear any of these loud bangings or screaming. And... She seems like a martini on top of sleeping pills type of mom. Well, that's mm-hmm. true. And she is kind of worthless in this movie, really. I mean, she yeah. seems like they included a mom because, oh, yeah, we have teenagers. I guess we kind of have to acknowledge that they may have a parent somewhere. I don't think we ever hear what happened to the dad at all. He's just not there. Yeah, he's just not there. That's kind of typical 80s. You yeah. Know. How many parents do we need to make this story work? Typically, it's one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you got had more than one, you'd have to figure out. They throw in the line that mom started working nights. Well, but that was just to explain why Evil Ed wasn't able to eat her. 
Right. And it's basically there just as a throwaway line to just get her out of the way from the action, which is a little bit weak. Yeah. It's also, it could just be that she works really weird shifts at work, and therefore that's why she zonked out. But yeah, it seems more like, how do you not hear that, lady? Yeah. How many ambient, like, how much ambient, just what? Your kid, really? No? Nothing? The kid's like, Mom, the house on fire. He's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then she doesn't notice, like, you know. Yeah, the, the trash is. stuff. Yeah, I love she comes into his room and it's like half the room is torn up and she's just like, Charlie. Maybe he just dream, like Mom. sleep destroys. Oh, me too. Maybe, maybe he oh, like good. sleep destroys his room. Oh, that's true. I did once fall asleep and what will It's okay. Out. I took a sleep cartwheel through the closet door. <laughs> <laughs> and I also just love that bit of him taking all that time to nail that window down and making sure it's dirty. And Jerry just like flips it open. Was a yeah. vampire. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice touch. I like that Charlie is kind of an idiot. Yeah. But I like yeah. that he's a realistic kind of an idiot and that, yeah, I could see someone actually doing stupid shit like this. Well, yeah. I mean, I would have tried it too, if nothing else, just as an extra precaution. I mean, it doesn't yeah. hurt to take that little extra effort. Though you'd be really pissed off if you killed the vampire later on. And then I love when his friends show up and his room is just covered in crucifixes and he's slowly whittling a stick. <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Well, and I like that he's kind of gotten to the point where, like, yeah, I'm going to probably be dead tomorrow, but, you know. I he's like crazy to, mouse man at that point. He's resigned to their fate, and trying to stop him, his friends actually give him a few extra nights of life. That's what's nice. Because yeah. you know that Jerry was probably going to go and kill him that night. Probably, But yeah. then when they came up with their plan, he's just like, oh, I got to play this out and see what happens. I love it when Peter Vincent is calling him up, and he's like, oh, no crucifixes, I'm born again. That would be sacrilege. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about holy water? Well, as long as it's not real holy water. Yeah, that would be so religious too. Nobody else is putting two and two together. Yeah. I'm not a... I are not vampire. What about mirrors? I can't stand the sight of my own paunch. <laughs> I have insecurity issues when I look at a mirror. I can't become anorexic again. No. It's off the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My family was killed by a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they could have been like that boogeyman or boogeyman too, or whichever one it yeah. was with the mirror. And I love the idea that his cover is he's literally a guy who will move into a town, renovate a house, flip it, and then move on to the next town. Which, by the way, how do you flip a house while it's... During the night. The, yeah, while the windows are all painted black. That's what Billy was for. It was supposed to be Jerry's funding it, and Billy is the guy who does all the work. So, can I ask, what the hell is Billy? Does anyone know? No clue. He's kind of like a weird zombie familiar type thing. I don't That's know. That's kind of what I thought. Is he, he seemed like, if not a zombie, then at least some sort of lesser undead or something. They have this interesting chemistry, and the guy playing Billy is just weird. They're funny. He's weird, but in a funny way. And and yeah. actually, the guy who plays him, Jonathan Stark, he's not really all that much of an actor. He's actually more of a sitcom writer, and he's the co-creator of According to Jim. Oh, well, he, at least he did one good thing. I'm like, you've destroyed humanity as we know it. Well, he was also one of the main writers on Ellen. Oh. It's better than the guy who played Evil Ed who went into gay porn. No, no, the gay porn is better because it's not according to Jim. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, watch according to People would have gotten enjoyment out of gay porn, I'm sure. So Yeah, according to Jim just makes people horrified. And no, cry. I know, but there's right. career highs and there's career lows. Oh, yeah. And sure. gay porn is still higher up than according to Jim. I don't like according to Jim. I know you do, sweetie. I just like picking on you for that. I didn't know that, and I really don't hear He about also it. wrote Bucket and Skinner's Epic Adventures. I don't, I don't know, know what that is. is. <laughs> Neither do I, but it's a funny title. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we're clear on that. 
So, but yeah, Billy is just, he's odd. I mean, yeah, he seems like a normal guy. And I love that Peter Vincent, when they're talking about Vincent's going through all of his like stakes and all this stuff. And they're like, but what about Billy? And he pulls out a revolver. <laughs> and even yeah. then the revolver doesn't stop him. I have to admit, I'm kind of surprised that Peter Vincent was packing. It was a little bit shocking, really. Not necessarily unbelievable. Just kind of like, oh, I wouldn't have expected that. I would think that he'd just be having stakes. Well, maybe and even Peter Vincent has ex-wives. I don't know. Well, either that or it I was used as a prop in a movie. It could have been. I mean, it was a very old style, just little revolver. That entire trunk is his trunk from one of the movies. It was like a stage revolver, but he just swapped out the blanks. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the Billy, then when he gets the stake, just melts. Into green goo. goo. Yeah. So, yeah, Billy is just... He's there. It's just an interesting additional presence to cover for Jerry while he's out. Yeah. Uh, kind of like there's somebody there that would prevent you know, uh, Charlie. You never see from... Billy sleeping, so presumably he doesn't. Yeah. So again, I don't know what he is. Maybe if you have a person that is under your thrall and you don't let them sleep or eat or anything like that, then maybe they just turn into green goo if you stab them with something. Hmm. I don't know. Like... Maybe he was all decayed and worn out on the inside, there even though know. he still had the outer appearance of being normal. That could be it. That makes sense. That's what we will go with, because we honestly have no clue what he is. Getting back to Jerry, I like all the sweeping bat point of view shots that they keep doing around the house. Yeah. That's cool. It was a nice way to evoke the fact that he's flying around during the night without having to show the puppet flying around during the night. Mm-hmm. Because if they showed the puppet, then I'd be like, no, seriously, I'm watching Hammer Horror. Yeah. Yeah. We get the puppet near the very end, and it's not the worst puppet. No. Puppet they I've don't show seen, up for but... too long. That is all yeah. that I would give them. This is the guy who did all the creature effects for Ghostbusters. Or, no, Stan Winston did some of them. But this is the guy who did all the makeup effects for Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And Ghostbusters didn't have the best makeup effects. No. It had great puppet effects, but not great makeup effects. So it looks like that. A lot of scleral lenses and weird fangs. Mm-hmm. Though, mind you, I guess if you had a person that was turned into a giant bat, I assume they might kind of look like that. Yeah. I don't know. But even when he's up against the wall and is on fire and he's falling apart, it literally looks like just flaming rubber being flapped around. It could have been edited a little better. I kind of yeah. like the overall thought behind it, like the green fire and the flesh melting away and kind of having a giant bat skeleton. I like the way that it just kind of like comes to a stop. Yeah. It just poofs out. But yeah, I could have if it had just a little bit bigger budget or you know edited a little bit differently, I think it could have worked a little bit better. But I kind of yeah. like the overall effect of Jerry's death. And I like the entire setup of the climax there, that you know, early on in the film, we see Billy blacking out all the windows in the basement, and then later on, it's how do we stop him? Well, let's just break all the windows and bring sunlight into the basement. I thought it was a nice beam of sunlight effect, nice way of finally we've got him. Mm-hmm. Like Other that. than when he gets knocked back by the last beam of light, it's kind of obvious that he's going into a crash pad. Well, I kind of like that effect, but yeah, I mean, they don't do the best job of hiding some of their limitations. It's a low-budget film, and I don't know what the budget was, but I'm presuming that it was pretty small. For an 80s horror film, it probably... They, it was $9 million, uh, which in 80s money is about like 30 yeah. 40 today. Which is not nothing, but it's not a whole lot to work with. Yeah. Can we talk about Evil Ed? He's so awesome. Yes. I love him. I hate Evil Ed. Really? I'll let you guys you? say why you love him first. It's hard to say, but he's just... He's exactly what, like, the weirdo kids are in school, because I was kind of that weirdo. Yeah, it's kind of weird, because, I mean, I kind of have problems with the storyline, because, like, Jerry comes up to him at the midpoint and says, you're so unaccepted, and blah, 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 and you become a vampire, and you'll become like me, and do we really know that? You can kind yeah. of like, surmise it. Just That's part of my criticism, him. which I'll get to, yeah. 
you can kind of look at him and go, yeah, he's probably not got a lot of friends other than Charlie. And he's got that weird voice. He's got the weird hair that dresses up like Michael Jackson. Um, he laughs just a little bit too loud. He's just a little he's, bit too boisterous. He laughs too often. It's like everything he says is like, <laughs> um, he's Beavis. You know, yeah. Kind of. No. It's something that it's such a weird performance that it kind of feels a little real because you don't see that type of performance anywhere else. And I think because it's so odd, it just feels like, even though I don't necessarily know any kids like that, there's probably somebody that actually like that out there. My problem with it is, and then yeah, you had that moment where Jerry went and confronts him about all that stuff. That was all stuff that was supposed to be in the character. I read this film, and the way the character is written is that him and Charlie's friendship is on the rocks. Because Charlie used to be the person who would always hang out with him, the person who was always there with him and did everything with him. And then Charlie got a girlfriend. And because Charlie's with Amy... Evil Ed is all angry and bitter and resentful, and a lot of his stuff is written to be angry and resentful, but the character keeps playing it as though it's laughing it off like a weird hyperactive joke. And none of that conflict comes through. And then the whole thing was supposed to be that when Evil Ed and Amy team up, it was supposed to be a big thing because, you know, Evil Ed hated her for taking his best friend away. And yet the friend has fallen so far that he has to go to her. And then it ends up getting to the point where he just ends up losing both of them and then going to the dark side. And I don't feel any of that ends up actually coming across in the performance that we get. I think you can kind of see a little bit. There's moments where he's basically like, you can kind of Because it's still on paper, but I just don't think the actor's bringing it out. Yeah. See, I think he is. Everything that Jerry told him, I didn't see any of that coming from the actual character. I mean, we don't see him getting picked on at school. We don't see the fact that him and Charlie are on the rocks. We don't see that he isn't connecting with anyone. He's always weirdly spastic and happy. Yeah, but isn't that more the fault of the screenplay for writing those lines for Jerry to say when that's not being conveyed on screen? No, because because no, because the way the character was written, it actually did convey that. But the way the character was played, it didn't. Okay, so if your actor's not conveying this, then just change the lines. Because all you have to do is change Chris Tranen's lines in that, and it would be fine. I'll give you that. But I mean, the character as written, and we'll get we'll get to the remake. But the character as written is a lot more like the Evil Ed in the remake. And I really, really liked Evil Ed on paper, and I just don't but, like I mean, him in the movie. If you're say, you know, the cynical Evil Ed, fine, but we still don't get to see him picked on at school in the movie itself. No, I know, and I agree with you that that's a problem. But I think the problem was they probably had extra stuff that they filmed, but they had to mix around the edges because the performance just wasn't there. That's something the director should have seen on set and should have fixed. Well, either that or they could have just rewritten Chris Sarandon's line. I like this evil Ed. I like that he's kind of weird. I like that he's different. I like that he's a weird performance, but I just, there's no depth to his character at all, but it was there and now it's lost. And that's what I don't like. You don't think that he is sort of like a third wheel with Charlie and Amy? He's a third wheel, but he doesn't have that sense of being rejected. You don't see that? No, I don't. I don't get him always being pissed at Charlie. Because he's always finding everything funny. I don't know. I kind of get that a little bit. I mean, it probably could have been conveyed much better, but it comes through a little bit. And it's not just from the words that he's saying, but he kind of has that sort of uncomfortable feeling when Charlie and uh, Ed, when they're discussing ways to kill the vampire and stuff. It's just, there is a certain, like, why are you bothering me, Charlie? It's, I think originally when I saw it, I think I kind of saw it more as it's him saying, why are you bothering me with these silly questions? And now I see it, I've watched it a few more times now. Definitely you kind of get that feel that maybe they're kind of on the outs a little bit. The way that I took any time he laughs is it's not that he finds something 
funny. At times he does, but other times it's more, it's a fallback for him because if he's silent for too long, the fact that they really don't work as friends sort of comes to the forefront. So he's just literally filling silence with any kind of sound. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. I'm such a film geek, aren't I? I know people love him and I know why people love him. It's just for me personally, it lost what it could have been. You're also looking at it from the perspective of someone who's read the script. It's still not something that most people who've seen the movie probably will experience. And so it's kind of... No, I know. But I can still look at it at the context of what it was intended to be versus what it was. And I'm not saying you're wrong for doing it. I'm just saying that it's something that I personally... I I like the performance. I like the character. And he gets a lot of the most memorable lines. You're so cool, Brewster. Brewster, I can't stand it. Yeah. Oh, God. And my other problem with him is just from a narrative standpoint... I think Charlie should have been the one who had to kill him, not Peter Vincent. I agree with you. Just in terms of their character. I mean, let Vincent have, you know, Billy. And then let Charlie have Evil Ed because that's the more personal arc. And the more personal conflict. I'm sure we'll get to that in the remake. And imagine, you know, Charlie having to kill his friend and then watching him die in that horribly prolonged fashion. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. It surprises me that they didn't go that direction. It, well, maybe yeah, they tried it and just William Ragsdale wasn't giving them what they wanted emotionally and were like, but we're putting in Roddy. Well, I don't know. Because like, I, no, I that's think how that, it was on paper, too. Yeah, I was going to say the way that it's plotted, I think that would have been really difficult to get those two together. Well, I think if you just focus more Peter Vincent on Billy. Yeah. You have the two threats that you need to get through in order to get to Jerry. You got Billy and you got Evil Ed. You focus and also more, Amy by that point. Well, there's Amy, but Amy kind of comes in afterwards. Yeah. She's more of a looming threat because we kind of know what's happened to her by that point. Yeah. She doesn't really become a threat until Jerry activates her after the other two have been killed. Right. She's otherwise just suffering from the poison. Yeah, she's not a virgin after Jerry bites her, just so we're all clear on that. Yeah, why don't we go ahead and just take a moment to talk about Amanda Beers. I love her so much. I do too. She's just so cute. (laughs) Oh my god, she's so adorable. And then when she vamps out, I was like, holy shit, you're hot. Oh, God, especially that, that see-through negligee. Um, but then I just also love the big distended jaws that she gets. Mm-hmm. I love that her hair suddenly lengthens. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it just that... happens. I'm like, I go with it. I'm oh, like, no, yeah, it's, as she's up there suffering the poison, you actually see it gradually getting longer and longer, becoming mm-hmm. more of a mane. That's yeah. just a nice touch. Yeah, it's her kind of accepting her sexuality and becoming sexy, and it kind of informs her physical appearance. But it's also being forced on her, too. Yeah. True. I mean, Jerry is totally forcing himself on her. He is, but he, he's holding her in his thrall. Yeah, I think it's, it's the kinda, way that I mean, still taking it. away it's, the will, though. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. On a story level, yes, that's what's happening. I think the metaphor that's going is that he seduced her. And this fits into the old metaphor of the next-door neighbor who comes in and ruins your life, and he basically comes in and gives your girlfriend all the satisfaction you never could. Right, and that's you know? exactly, I mean, obviously, yes, in real life, that would be, you know, essentially You would be in so much jail. Yeah, but... I think from the story they're trying to tell, it's basically she oh, yeah. fell for him, even though mm-hmm. technically speaking, she had no will to you know, resist. It's a falling for him that she would eventually regret, but yeah, but she still did. I love when he holds up his finger and I swear to God, I was like, no words, just emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Say it. You know what I am. The zombie? I like the dance club moment where she's been all seduced by him, but then she looks in the mirror and sees that she's just been dancing with herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that looks really kind of silly when she's like dancing by herself. It does, but it fits the narrative, and I like, oh, I like she plays it well. Yeah, because at first I was like, "What's going on here? Why is she just kind of hopping around by herself with her arms extended?" You know, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, she's looking in the mirror." It took me a while to realize what's yeah. going on. And then I love him taking out the two bouncers. That was awesome. Especially just that great overhead shot of the one guy sliding down the floor. 
That was a nice shot. I think they kind of needed the action there, but I didn't understand why Jerry decided to pick a fight with these bouncers when he could just... Well, why did he need to stay there? He had Amy in his thrall. He could have just left without incident, but... Because he's the alpha male. Yeah. It's for the same reason, because they were going to remove Charlie while he was watching Jerry seduce his girlfriend. And he's like, no, no, you can't do that. Because me no likey. Also alpha male. I don't know. I think it's because Jerry even gets to the point Regis doesn't even give a shit anymore about hiding things. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just so used to vampires hiding themselves. I guess I'm kind of not used to them just being outright monsters in front of people. Anyway. But, but you know, given that atmosphere, who's going to be able to tell people what happened? Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. true. I mean, who was looking at him right when he transformed and slashed the guy's throat, you know? Yeah, that's fair enough. And the few people who were, you know, the police would probably dismiss, you know? Mm-hmm. Probably just say, you know, there was some kind of a gang riot that broke out or something, you know? Yeah. Given all the music and the lights and everything, that's something that he could probably get away with that in, especially then when it creates all the chaos afterwards. Well, considering the cops in this town take a supposed witness to to the, to the crime scene, to crime scene, I don't think they're really the most competent in the world. So that was hilarious too. Of yeah, let's bring the guy who called in the complaint to the crime scene that we're investigating. Where yeah, the cops asked the last questions. house on the left? <laughs> never asked any questions. He's just like, well, this kid said he saw something. Let's bring him over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, sir, the, your next-door neighbor is the guy who called that. You, you can't do that. <laughs> you just can't. Oh, maybe it was different in the 80s. You could totally do that. They tighten the laws after this. This guy accuses you of cutting the heads off of hookers. Can we take a look in your trash bags while he's here with us? <laughs> yes, take a long look at his face. Because heaven forbid the guy who called in the complaint could plant something while the police have him there to investigate <laughs> And on top of that, God help you, you might have cleaned up, but now you're going to kill him because he's yeah, the guy who called the complaint. Space, make sure that you know where he lives, oh, identify him as your neighbor and everything. Just you know. uh, Oh, hold on. You know what? We, we've here. got his picture here for you in case you uh, forget about it. And here's a free knife it. that we're giving away for every new uh, police call that we make. Yeah. About also, it. on the back, we've written out his schedule for every single day and also a list of his fears. Police! I will say, though, that I do just love the little moment where, you know, Charlie says, he sleeps the sleep of the undead, and the cop looks to Billy, Billy laughs, the cop laughs, and then in the middle of the laugh, the cop suddenly shoots around going, what? Get out of here! (laughs) (laughs) And then just drags him out. Like I said, lots of 80s cheese in this movie. Yes. But I love it. In this movie, there was a movie that, like, a totally different movie that I totally wanted to see, and it never happened, and it kind of made me sad. When Amy and Ed go to see Peter Vincent, he'll say something, and then she punches him, and then the second time he says something, and he, like, hides behind his coat from her, and I'm like, I just want a comedy starring the two of them. I did kind of like their chemistry together. I think, like, with Ed and Charlie, you kind of wonder, like, why are these two kids friends? But with, like, um... Well, Charlie grew up and Ed didn't. Well, yeah, that's probably Or Charlie it. became I, a dick. Well, I'm just saying. yeah. The chemistry between Amanda Beers and Stephen Jeffries is just, I would watch that sitcom. I'll admit, I like those moments too. Despite, you know, my issues with Evil Ed, I thought those moments were good. I did find one thing that is sort of like, I'm like, ooh, continuity problem. Peter Vincent burns the cross into Evil Ed's forehead when he touches mm-hmm. him with it. But then later, Jerry says you have to believe in order for it to work and crushes the cross that Peter Vincent's holding. And I'm like, hey, wait a second. You have to have faith for that to work on me, is what he said. So he was more powerful. Oh, Yeah, I wondered the exact same thing. And on subsequent viewings, I kind of came to the same conclusion Noel did. He's more powerful. 
could also be that someone caught that just in time to slip the little on me in there. Yeah. Okay, it could be, yeah. It's a bit wishy-washy, but you kind of have to just go with it. But I like the way that they played the crucifix was either you need to have faith, and even if you have faith, you need the vampire to see it. Like, there's that great bit where Charlie brings out the cross, but Jerry grabs his arm and manages to keep it from coming up into the line of sight. Well, and like, Ryan McDowell apparently finds the faith, so I think it's one of those things, like, after you've seen enough of this stuff, you may just start believing in a higher power. It could also just be a projection of faith in oneself, too. Well, I don't even think that it's supposed to be, you know... Because Rodney McDowell, it fits his character arc, it's him eventually finding faith in himself and what he's doing. I just think it means that, you know, you believe that the cross will scare the shit out of that thing. If it only worked with iron crosses and it actually became a projection of one's inner power, then okay. What if it only worked with Iron Man? (laughs) (laughs) Iron Man versus Jerry the Vampire, I want that. Iron Man wins. Oh, Iron Man would win in a minute. Yeah. Right, I'll just shoot him into space, and okay, we're done. In the movie. <laughs> and we're done here! Pepper, get me a martini. <laughs> <laughs> I want that movie. It's like a five-minute movie. I was like, great. Someone make that. So, Fright Night, any other <laughs> final thoughts about it? Um, Wasn't Christopher Lee in it at one point, or am I just thinking of someone mm, else? No. I mean, there was the shot of Christopher Lee as a vampire. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Just when they were doing the old Peter Vincent movies. Mm-hmm. I love the movie at the end where, because he loses his job. And somehow he magically gets it back again. Yeah, the, the way I put it together in my head anyway, is it's like, he didn't lose his job so much as he was all like, I'm only going to talk about my movies. And they're like, well, then get the fuck out. And he's just like, no, no, I'll totally talk about other movies, like stupid aliens coming to your to kill everybody movies. It's all good. And then they're like, okay, you're rehired. Well, didn't the novelization, as I was reading on Wikipedia, say something like they've hired like a production assistant or something like that to take over, and that he was so horrible, everyone called in and asked for Peter Vincent yeah, back? Yeah, that they replaced him with another host, and it went really bad. Which, you know, I could see that. And Peter stopped asking for more money. That might help also. Because that was the reason why they initially kicked him off, was he asked for a raise. Like, how big of a raise? Why don't they just say no? Like, was it a cost of living increase? Because he's going to get evicted. Yeah, I got to say, the novelization by John Skip and Craig Spector is actually really a fantastic read, and I highly recommend anyone who's a fan of the movie to track it down. It's one of the better novelizations I've read. Interesting. I'll have to try to find that. So, Fright Night 2. Have either of you seen Fright Night 2? No. I saw bits of it a long time ago, though. It's been I've seen Obscurus Lupa's review of it semi-recently, but that's about it. So Fright Night 2 is where uh, Jerry's sister, Regina Dandridge, comes to town and essentially gets revenge by first she takes over Fright Night, turning it into a 1980s interpretive dance type thing. Where she, yeah. As was all the rage on TV. The interpretive dance MTV version of Fright Night costing Peter Vincent his job, and she also starts visiting Charlie every night and slowly starts turning him into a vampire. So Charlie literally becomes the damsel in distress in this movie, and Charlie's girlfriend and Peter have to team up to save him. And Charlie's girlfriend is not Amanda Beers, so I am not interested. She was, uh, she was busy Not on, Amanda Beers. She was unmarried with children, so she wasn't able to come back. She was supposed to. She was really written to, but they couldn't free her from married with children. So anyways, it's just Charlie going through a weird gradual transformation into a vampire where he starts, you know, wanting to eat raw meat and he always wears sunglasses because he can't stand the sunlight. And then all these weird other, Regina has a whole pack of vampires with her. She has a werewolf. She has basically like a Billy type character who's made out of insects. 
literally just bugs all wearing a human skin. She has this androgynous mute vampire on roller skates. And then there's the infamous scene where all three of these sidekicks break into a bowling alley, kill everyone there, and just start bowling. As you do. Hey, I mean, if you're there. Okay, seriously, if I broke into a bowling alley and killed everyone there, I'd go bowling after. With their heads. Yeah. It's a pretty damn nuts movie. It's uh, written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who... The stuff I have actually seen. Yeah, who did the infamous Halloween 3 season of The Witch, the one that didn't have Michael Myers and was a really crazy, batshit insane movie. And this is a lot like that in that it's just a really weird collection of ideas, some of which are actually really interesting and clever, but hardly any of them all fit together or really make any sense in any way. So it's kind of a fascinating film to watch, but it's not a good one. Yeah. I love the vampire bowling scene, but that's about it. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I watched the first half of it as a kid, and I think I watched about, you know, I actually remember a little bit just because it was so crazy, but I, it's not very good. Even then, at that age, I kind of recognize that. And I know the big thing about this movie is it was scheduled to come out in theaters, but one of the main producers on it was, I can't get his name here, it was the dad of the Menendez brothers, Oh, who just before it came out, him and his wife were killed by their two sons, the Menendez brothers. And so... Jose. Jose Jose Menendez. And yeah, I don't see his name on the credits, but I know he worked on it. Well, it could just be that it was he provided funding. Yeah. And so the studio didn't want to capitalize on that. So they just kind of sat on it for a couple of years and then slowly released it to video. And you can't really even get it on video or DVD now. Yeah, and it's only really ever... I think it came out on video once and came out on DVD once, and then both of them slipped out of print. Yeah, and now people are like, yes, give me $200 on Amazon for my copy. And I'm like, no. Yeah, and the guy who played Evil Ed... Was not in it. They did want him to come back. They offered it to him, but he turned it down so he could go do 976 Evil. Why Evil Ed? The directorial debut of Robert Englund. Huh. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, just I just wanted to add in one more thing. Uh, Jose Menendez wasn't a producer. He was the head of the distribution company. Oh, okay. So I just wanted to correct myself for that. And now you know. Yeah. And knowing is half the Batmobile. And the other half is an engine made by Alfred. No, and the other half is the cop car that the Batmobile sliced in half. Okay. Oh, Frank Miller. Anyone have any questions about Fright Night 2? Why did you Does it have it? as cool of a song at the end as the first one did? I don't remember what it had at the end. I know it had something. I think it did another interpretive dance number. I do like the <laughs> music in this movie. In the original Fright Night. It yeah. is. It's, it's fun 80s music. I'm not I sure like the score, fact that they but... have... I, I love the song at the very end. I'm like, come on. That's an awesome song. That's a good one, yeah. The, the score sounds a little bit too much like Law & Order's theme song, but uh, I kept... Law & Order totally ripped that off. That Law & Order sound, that dun-dun, that's actually, you know, pounding a stake into a vampire's heart. Oh. I didn't know that's what Law and Order... Is that what they do when they're not on screen, is they kill vampires? Why the hell do you think Law and Order has lived this long? Technically, it didn't. It drinks the blood of puppy virgins. Technically, Law and Order's been canceled, so... um, Well, Law and Order is... No, there's uh, like a lot of spinoffs. Yes, but that's its coven. It still lives on. Its coven is still around. Okay. It was finally slain. So, anyways, I think that about wraps up part one of Fright Night. Thank you for joining us, JD. You're so cool, Noel. I can stand that. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, I hate both of you. I'm going home. Good night, Evie. Good night. I Hate Love Remakes is in no way affiliated with the copyright holders of the films discussed. All rights are reserved and no infringement is intended. 
I Hate Love Remakes is a Made of Fail production. Madeoffail.net. We were unpopular before it was cool. Into green goo. goo. Yeah. Yes. Have I mentioned that Ratatouille makes for interesting poop? Um, you have, yes. Thank you. Why were you eating the movie, though? That's <laughs> what I want to know. No, my mom made actual Ratatouille. Uh, yeah, I know. So anyway. but, uh, <laughs> shut up. Because Pixar you. is always wonderful. It tastes like sugary marshmallows in clouds. Except for Cars 2, which smells like unwashed ball sack. Well, that's essentially what Larry the Cable Guy is. Larry the Cable Guy wishes it was that good. I want Law and Order Titty Kaka. <laughs> okay, now I'm We will bring Law and Order to this Titty Kaka. It's Titty Kaka PD. Stop laughing. <laughs> that's not that funny. It's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing.